Hello, hello again. This is Elizabeth Fury bringing you yet another episode of Let's Talk About the Facts, your favorite place for stories regarding boogeymen or cold cases, maybe a few murders, definitely ghost stories, and if you're lucky, aliens. Today, <laughs> today I'm not that alone. was an option. Oh yeah, I've done aliens. Today I'm not alone, as you can tell. I have Rachel Hip Flores. Hi. What's going on? You know, a lot of things. But we're going to skip all those things. And we're (laughs) going to tell our listeners what we're doing. So last week, you got to experience me on my own. What an experience that was for both of us, though. Um, (laughs) And this week, I wanted to bring Rachel on. Because as we discuss the second part of the Robin Hood Hills murders, the Forgotten West Memphis 3 as well, I wanted to let someone know all of the facts plus news that was positive. It was not necessarily going to be Dragtown Central. And also I felt after getting a lot of text feedback from my friends who were like, you did a good job hosting the show by yourself, but also, wow, that episode hurt. We're going to make this one not hurt as much. I knew that one was going to hurt anyway. I mean, there was no way around it. That was real fucking rough, Mama. That was, I know. That was rough going. Yeah. But, I mean, we made it through. This was the case that broke me. I had to take a few weeks off. Yeah. We started season two. And the sad part is I grew up with this case. I followed it ever since, as the Arkansans would say, since I'm kind of grafted into Arkansas, knee high to a grasshopper. Oh, um, God. That's, I've never, I've heard only you say that and and the rest of the time, I feel like I've just, like, heard other people say it as in, like, oh, this is, like, I think I've, like, read it or, like, seen it on television <laughs> or something. I'm not sure I've ever heard that in the wild. My brother was telling me that I don't use enough Southern sayings. And he was referencing this news article where uh, an Arkansan reporter was, like, on some New York TV show, like, talking about the weather and she had said we're hanging on like a hair on a biscuit yeah and he's like work <laughs> it in work it in everywhere and i was like i'm gonna try oh man I, it's so good it's that is terrific and also horrifying yeah it's like a perfect visual because oh. you know exactly what's going on there. i do i do and i don't like it <laughs> Yeah, that's how bad these, like, winds and stuff are. That's how I feel like when us Angelinas are going through Santa Ana's. Oh, yeah. God. I just just look at that wind going through the palm trees and and I say, oh, no, thank you. And I turn the shades down and go back into my hidey hole. Yeah, I've got a piece of my, like roof in my apartment building that's like kind of coming off and so it's just an unnecessary wah 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 all the time that sucks yeah okay so speaking of sucking let's talk about a suckful case 
That's a all terrible right. way to say. No, I was all in. I was all in for that transition. <laughs> that segue was beautiful. <laughs> Flawless. Oh, I'm fired again. Um, and by again, if you listen to the teeny episode before, I fired myself then. Um, right. So, so in the last episode, that was not the teeny episode in part one. I said 2007 and I meant 2011. I don't know why I said 2007. I had just gone through that whole case and I think I just read it wrong. My own handwriting. I'm fired for the third time. Third time's the charm. It is. So we are going to go from 1999 all the way to 2011. This is going to be the blitz of information that no one asked for, but we're doing it anyway. Actually, a lot of people asked me for this case, so I'm sorry a lot of people asked for. So, part two. The Forgotten West Memphis Three. The reason I titled this part that is because not only were the boys who were originally the victims of this heinous crime kind of the back seat of the investigation it became more about convicting damien jesse and uh jason but no one in that community seemed to care if the actual perpetrator was brought to justice and a lot of criticism in regards to how that was handled was brought to light. So in, I think, 19, yeah, it was 1996, HBO's Paradise Lost was released in the summer. And that film, which I used for the first episode, quite a bit of it, um, at the end of this one, I'll explain all of my sources. I used quite a bit of it for court footage and the like, but... It was released in the summer of 1996, and it was a huge hit. It won a ton of awards, and basically, it brought this case from just a small Arkansas case to a huge national attention, and even international Hmm. Uh, was it a documentary or was it like a drama? Yes, it's, it's a it's a documentary, oh, okay. and they started filming before uh, the boys were found. Uh, run that one by me again. Like, or they started filming when the boys were found is how it went down. Like when the film opens, you will see the bodies of the Holy young boys. Shit. It is, I say this with the caveat of very few things disturb me anymore. We are, like I said, very hardened mm-hmm. in this society. Tread lightly wow. if you're going to watch Paradise Lost, number one. <sighs> okay. Um, Damien, when he's interviewed on this one, says that he is now the West Memphis boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And that was from a 1994 interview. So if this came out in 1996... They're already behind bars. But, of course, they've been convicted. And we are now, in 1999, we have Paradise Lost 2, Revelations. 
And it revisits these convicted teenagers five years later. Mm-hmm. Um, it also brings a lot of new evidence to light. And we're going to talk about that real quickly. And it also brings a new suspect to the forefront. So I'm going to talk about the supporters, the new evidence, and the new suspect. I want to say, big caveat, I am only bringing the information forward. I am neither supporting or defending the theory. Um, But I'm also not, you know, I don't want to sway you either way on the theory. I'm just going to give you the evidence. Um. So, when Damien was is interviewed for Paradise Lost 2, he says that he was making light of the situation through all of what he was going through. And honestly, he's 18 That's years in old. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. And he says, he's like, I knew I hadn't done anything, so they couldn't prove that I oh had. Oh, God. And so, now he's 24, because he was 19 at the time that he was convicted. So now he's 24 and he sees they, they can, can absolutely like a hundred percent. They were just kids oh, when they shit. were accused. So, um, basically the Arkansas Supreme court denied Damien's initial appeal. Some, um, or sorry, this, his last chance to overturn, um, his conviction at the state level would be between May 5th, 1998 and March 19th, 1999, which is his post-conviction hearings. Um, But because of how Paradise Lost was received and everything, uh, the truth, basically how I feel about it, it brought the truth of the court proceedings to national attention and documented how lawyers lied and police officials lied Cameras were excluded from the courtroom. Okay, Okay. yeah. You know, how that goes. Um, So, basically, there is a woman named Mara Leverett. She was a reporter for the Arkansas Times at the time. And she was one of the only journalists in the state of Arkansas to question the verdicts of the case. Oh my god. Can we shout her yes. out? Yes. Mara Leverett. Wow. And she when you see her on Paradise Lost 2 because you do actually see video footage mm-hmm. of her, she looks like the most quaint Ugh. adorable oh, I love it like, when it works I, out like that. Yeah, she's like I have cookies for everyone type <laughs> person. And she is interviewing all of the supporters for the Free the West Memphis Three because what Paradise Lost did is bring together a community who watched this film and was like, what? And so they started an online forum about it. And the woman who worked on the film to... um, Oh, I, I don't know if it was a woman. I'm so apologize for misgendering. Um, I'm not sure which how it played out, but one of the people who worked in the film, she, they, um, started an online website. Online no, website. Sorry. 
I am back in 19. No, well, I'm just like listening to all of this and like even because I feel like Web 2.0 because I'm an I know. older person now. But like, I it's it is amazing because I remember what websites and what like online forums and whatever were back then. And like they yeah. were not the force that they are now, and so the fact that no, this, not like, at all flourished in that and like was able to I don't know what you're going to tell me, but it sounds like some shit like got to be changed from it. Uh, the fact that it yeah. could wield that power is is very surprising and lovely. Yeah, she started basically a website for them to put it in layman's terms is it an online website though it was online oh and geocities no i'm kidding <laughs> is it angel oh. fire oh my god uh she started a zanga she start. she started a zanga this is pre myspace people oh my god um this is friendster oh but basically it was to collect information about the case, but also anybody else who felt a way about this case could go, could look it up on AOL and find it and kind of join in the conversation. And this was kind of before people were as massive of an asshole on the internet. So that's real. Um, there were people from all over the country who joined this in that time frame and once the film came out and they were discussing it, all sorts of people who had different areas of expertise. And for that appeal for Damien, people showed up, people from California, New Jersey, wow. Other Arkansans, people from Ohio, all of these people um, came to Ar- Jonesboro, Arkansas, which I've been there. It's nothing. Um, was sorry. there? Sorry, feel, Jonesboro. Did was there something terrible that happened in Jonesboro? Yes, there was a cult in Jonesboro. Probably. Okay. I know of a couple murders. I feel I like mean, Jonesboro's on my like oh list. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Um, I'll look it up for you though. If I figure out what that cult was, we can put I, it in our next listen, teeny it, episode. You know, it could be any number of things, or it could be conflating it with some other Jonesboro. But sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm definitely certain something happened there. Um, but they all came physically, like physically, to support. Damien in these hearings. Wow. And one of the supporters, he felt like this trial was a modern day witch trial. And if you think about it, it's not in the way that Trumplicans and all of those people are like, we're on a witch hunt. No, (laughs) no, you wouldn't even know what that's like. Yeah. And I liked the way that he said it. It was these people were making decisions based on emotion, prejudice, and just anger Instead of using reason and common sense and the actual application of the law. And so as the internet brought these supporters together, it was really interesting because one of um, the supporters who was the woman, she was one of the um, uh, 
creators of the website, she said that people from Arkansas were able to get copies of the court reports because they become public information once mm. it's been entered into into um, evidence. And so they were like photocopying it and putting it onto the forums so people could get access to evaluate it. And all of this information was being made super public and like these misdeeds, if you will, of like not only uh, law enforcement agencies, but lawyers and Mm -hmm. such like that. Yeah. It was becoming super super evident and so Hmm. there was an an arkansan supporter and she said prior to the trial her boss had said they finally caught those freaks and she asked her boss what made them freaks and the response is as terrible as you would expect oh god oh no her boss was like well look at them look at how they dress and she's like, I better stay in. It's not safe out there for me. Like, oh, could you imagine just God. being guilty by the way you dress? I mean, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I feel like yeah, I was like, about half of the human race can can relate to that feeling. But yes, um, but I mean, going to but death yeah, row. <laughs> it's that's that's a whole extra level of shittiness. Jesus Christ. Yes. So, if you remember, Christopher Byers, one of our boys who tragically lost his life, Mm -hmm. his adopted father, John Mark Byers, insults them as people, calling them trash and garbage. This is where we're (laughs) going to... I this is this is fodder for the next... This is the mini episode, right? This is the... Mm -hmm. This is the... Okay. Just buckle it up. We're going to put a pin in that. Uh, John Mark Byers likens the supporters to serial killer fan clubs. Uh, While the supporters' points of view is that that the case is not sound and should be looked at again because the wrong people may be behind bars. And so this is a personal opinion here, guys. There's something back-ass words about him. He criticizes the supporters for trying to help their cause with t-shirts and the sale of which funds the publicity and more word about the case. And John Mark Byers is like, why doesn't it go to the victim's families? And he starts citing the son of Sam Law. And are you familiar with the I son am of not. Sam Law? Please explain that one to me. Well, first off, do you know who the son of Sam is? Uh, yes, I do know that one. Okay, great. For those of you who don't know who Son of Sam is, I do plan on covering that, so don't worry. But basically, almost every state, I think four don't, um, has a Son of Sam law. Florida has a Son of Sam law. And Florida has one. It's wild, the states that don't. Um, I don't know what the Son of Sam law is, so I'm just making shit up right now. But (laughs) it is a law that prevents perpetrators from making money off of their crimes. By selling books, by appearances, by anything like that. That's a good law. It's a great law. Like, it is a perfect law. But that's the thing, is John Mark Byers is like, the son of Sam Law. But the supporters are like, they're not making money. Like, Okay, let's (laughs) let's be very clear. I am with the supporters. I think that this was a horribly managed case. Like, I am 
on the side. We're on the same side right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know what information you are going to drop in my lap about this dad. I'm trying to believe that, like, everyone is acting in good faith and that there's no shady shit uh, going on sort of behind the scenes. And I know that that is a big leap, which is actually going to, like, come back and bite me in the ass because I can read context clues. But I feel like... If I were a father or the parent of someone, I couldn't be the father, obviously. Uh, well, maybe not, obviously. <laughs> but like, if I were the parent of a child who had been murdered, I would be so pissed. I would be so slashingly angry that I would be just wildly, um, I would be wildly destructive in a way that I can see myself acting like this dad is acting where it's like no fuck you i have to believe that this guy did it otherwise then you're left with this blank you're you have to start back at square one that you have no closure on this so i feel like i understand the desperation that is involved in this in this mindset does that make sense kind of i am on the other fence because the best clapback ever happened one of the supporters says to him it is going to the victims' families to find out who actually killed these little boys. And if that's the case, for me, if I'm a father, obviously, like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> sure. If you were a parent. But I am a dad friend, so, you know. Okay. We'll go with that. Um, and my child was killed. There's three people behind bars for it. And someone comes to me and says, there is an overwhelming amount of evidence that supports that they did not do this national attention says this looks wrong i would not double down i would say okay if you're telling me three teenagers were wrongfully put behind bars for the murder of my son i want to know who did it and if they may not be guilty then check i i hear you i think that that is a very uh, very intelligent very clear-headed way of of reacting to that information and i'm saying i know myself and i know that i am not that clear-headed when there is that amount of emotion behind it would you be that clear-headed if the idea that the same per like the person who could have killed your child is still on the loose i think that might listen yes but that is that's a different leap that you're asking me to make which is harder because if you have someone behind bars then there is someone who you can execute justice against <laughs> I mean, or injustice or, or in, yes clearly but i would say that if i were if i were in a highly emotional state and i'm not saying that this guy was not well, shady this as is, fuck but i'm this saying is six years later still I'm just saying that's a di- that's a difference. Like you have six years of maybe. stepping back. Look, honestly, maybe, but I I can see a part of myself that would so desperately need to believe that we fa- that we found the guy. He's behind bars, and shit's gonna happen to him. And then I can move on with the like move on as best I can with the rest of my life. I it's not a good part of me <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. but uh it's not you know it's not uh highly evolved but there is a sort of primal anger that needs to be that needs to have a target and i think once you take that target away then then 
you are left again slashing wildly. I guess maybe our brains just work different on this one because I, if someone told me that that's not the person, I immediately would want to not take away the child of someone else. I would want to make like have that checked. Like, if I'm sure they're right, then I would not have any problem with them rechecking evidence. Like, True. I wouldn't that's, have... I mean, it. Yeah, yeah. And then if that's wrong, then I would be like, let's throw everything we can at getting the right person. Because how do I not know that somebody else isn't being essentially murdered again? You know, like another child is at risk and another child and another child, you know? I guess. No, I I, I hear you on that. Um, and I feel like I missed the part where he wasn't letting evidence be rechecked. But I also kind of feel like if you are not necessarily aware of how shoddy police work can be, and you're just like, well, no, they, of course they did everything right. They followed all the procedures. They're not throwing anything out. Right. If you have a sort of faith in the institution, then... Right. Uh, then you're like, well, no, they, they've got the guy. So why do we have to go back, waste resources and time when when we clearly have the right guy? So I feel right. like it's, yeah, it's just a different... That's where I feel like in the situation of West Memphis where education comes into play because so many of them just rely on the them as in people in West Memphis of 1993 just relied on the system and didn't consider oh, they could be wrong, oh, they could be this. But if you were on the other side of the system, you would be furious and you would be wanting, you know, somebody yeah. to check themselves. And so this is, of course, a situation in unchecked law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the 1999 supporters, um, who were still supporters to the day, um, I should mention, they discussed with Mara Leverett. So this whole situation is with Mara Leverett. Uh, they all met up. It was adorable. And they're all sitting around. One of them says a lot of supporters would have been drawn in by the I wore black. I was an alienated teenager. And mm -hmm. they really identified with Damien or Jesse or um, Jason after watching Paradise Lost. Because, you know, hello, that's me. Mm -hmm. I mean, back in my day, I got called a goth all the time. And I did wear a lot of black. And there were hand-me-downs from my older sister or my older brother. And black is a slenderizing color. Dude, Let's I know. talk about it. If I mean, I was a teen in Little Rock, Arkansas and in the, in the aughts. This prejudice went away never. Mm. I think it's still there and very deep and ingrained into the culture, a lot like the God Warrior of Wife Swap. That's worth the Google, guys. Worth what? the Google. Okay. <laughs> Look her up. The God Warrior of Wife Swap. Um, oh but the, the supporter continues to say that what really matters is the necessary justice. We have to fight corrupt police force and legal system that works in a vacuum in Arkansas. Guess what it still does. Mm. And that's why they're there. They can't keep operating in the dark and get away with it. And 
that in my, you know, mind and heart is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> because these people all over this country care about what's happening to other countrymen, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so many times people in states are like, this is my state and whatever happens in my state happens in my state. What happens in your state happens in your state, but we're all countrymen. Like we should care about what happens to each other in other states too. We all should care that people are getting basic rights and it is innocent until proven guilty. And this is a situation of guilty prior to being charged. And so having these supporters from all over coming, I think is an incredibly telling situation where they saw something and they could not let it continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, this appeal judge. Oh, God. Is the same as the trial judge. How was that let to happen? I don't know. What? His opinion is biased, unfair, and prejudiced, and he should have recused himself. That's insane. How was that? Oh, my God. The fact he was allowed to do so, like, to preside over this, shows how terrible the Arkansas legislative system is. Oh, my God. That's so shitty. If you can't afford to pay off your people. So his entire time on the bench really should be re-examined. He should be thrown off of the bench. All of his work should be discredited. And if he's still in the state Senate, I think that should be really, really reconsidered. So last episode, we had discussed Jesse's false confession. And because he wouldn't testify, a tape recorder testified for him. Um, and then Jesse would not take the stand for the Eccles Baldwin trial. And thankfully, because of that, he would have been convicted of perjury because he did not tell the truth. He was forced into a false confession. So his defense attorney at the time, Dan Stidham, continues to work for him pro bono. Oh. And... Dan, I know, he really goes for it. Like, he believes in Jesse so much. And so he finds a criminal profiler um, with the Free the West Memphis Three support group. And his name is Brent Turvey. I'm going to tell you a lot about Brent Turvey. Um, He first meets with Dan Stidham. And they both agreed to do the work pro bono for the West Memphis Three because obviously how they were teenagers. They have yeah. nothing. Right. And they came from the poorest part of West Memphis. Mm-hmm. And immediately he refutes ritualistic killing. Immediately. Um, he says that... This attack was very unfocused. It was reactionary. And it took time, but it couldn't take too much. This perpetrator had to know the area. This is either a walk in and dump the bodies or something along those lines. They had to know something that we don't. Mm 
Hmm. Uh, and the offender did know the victims. Oh, my God. And note that he said offender. Mm-hmm. One. Right. Right. So, regarding the hunting knife, if you remember from last episode that John Mark Byers gave to one of the HBO people, um, because of the DNA test results on the original investigation, the blood evidence ended up being destroyed, preventing further analysis. Just so you know. God. DNA was in its infancy. Yeah. Infancy. So the amount that they needed to be able to perform the test they did, it yeah. kind of made sense. That was, I don't feel malicious in that moment. Okay. Um. So Turvey, in regards to Chris Byers' mutilation, sorry about this, guys. We are going to bust through this quickly, but trigger warning. Um, there was... According to Peretti, the medical examiner slash autopsyist, I know because I don't want to say coroner, um, autopsyist sounds just as accurate to me um, for the job he did. There was no precision or accuracy contrary to Peretti. It was anger motivated, not sexually motivated. And it seemed to be done with a fishing knife serrated on one side, smooth on top. Jesus fucking Christ. Right. This is all contrary to what Peretti said. Right. Which was also contrary to the knife they found. Oh, my God. Turvey does go to the crime scene. He goes with Dan Stidham. And at the time, the crime scene is still close to, like, the actual terrain is still close to the same. Um... He kind of laughs at the idea that blood would wash away at the crime scene. And he makes it clear it kind of had to be a disposal site, not the crime scene. Mm. Um, you couldn't just like, if, if it was yeah. the middle of the night, you couldn't just like toss water up on the bank right, and it right. would get blood to go away. And also, you couldn't take a garden hose, is how he said it, and get all that blood off. Oh like, my God. What? Um, and then he makes a, I would say, earth shattering to this case discovery. So interestingly enough, like a lot of the cases at the time that he was looking at this, he's like, it's so hard to even get photos and you have given me color copies of everything. This is incredible. And he's looking at photos of the boys and what Peretti said was a belt buckle indention, which makes no sense. Um, it would be on your eye socket. You know how that's a 3D area? Yeah. Where your eye dips in. Yeah. And you've got part of your nose, part of your eyebrow. Well, on a 2D um, photo, it looked like a bell shape, right? Okay. That couldn't be a belt buckle because... For a 2D shape to have a bell-like um, impression, a 3D shape would have had to be something else. He says, that's clearly a bite mark. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he finds them on all three children. Holy shit. Yes. It was not documented at autopsy. So... 
the type he saw, he said it was often linked to the mother. Um, he mentioned that the... Oh, no, I can't talk about that part. Because okay. I haven't told you the lead up. Oh, God. But he said, like, maternal abuse. There's a lot of bite marks in... in like conjunction with maternal abuse i can't speak to that in my own knowledge and brain of maternal abuse um regards to bite marks i've actually never heard that before that's also new information to me yeah that's brand new information to me and i've been down this road a lot of times uh but he does say a forensic odontologist uh needs to establish the connection to the deaths because bite mark evidence is what got Ted Bundy. Right. Yeah. This is super important, right? Yes. Uh, Never fucking done. Was it? Oh no, it was. Oh my God. So he had a, like a bite cast done of all three teens who were not teens anymore, but I'm just saying that to sure, sure. differentiate. Um, However, John Mark Byers had his teeth removed, and he has mostly dentures. There's, like, one or two real teeth, but he has mostly real dentures. And so, therefore, like, a bite analysis at the time couldn't be taken. Huh. Uh, so, we will come back to Brent Turvey, but that was his earth-shattering... That's fucking nuts. piece of information was i'm just the same i mean i'm guessing it was the same bite mark on all on all of them like if all yes. three had it then it was the same set of teeth doing it yes that is royally fucked right oh so in regards to paradise lost two only john mark byers was on camera um all of the other family members of the boys who lost their lives in 1993 did not want to be on camera. Um, Melissa Byers passed away in 1996. Hmm. Um, I'm going to speak more to that later. Okay. He talks about how he now lives in a 300 square foot apartment. He says it's a good place to be alone with his thoughts. So Jason refers to John Mark Byers. He runs around calling them all names, but he actually says at this time in 1999 that he thinks that John Mark Byers is the one who did it. Um, so after the incident and the court case, the Byerses, mm-hmm. they moved from West Memphis to Cherokee Village, where, and this is Melissa, Melissa's still alive at this point. Um, they were charged for taking $20,000 worth of things from a neighbor's house. What? Yes. Police did claim witnesses that apparently saw them loading things into a truck and then found some of the items in their house. Also, oh John God. Mark Byers had 13 warrants in West Memphis for writing bad checks. Like what? Okay. Okay. All right. I so, just like arguing. I just like arguing. Do it. So Hit I'm me. I'm not 
I, I feel like, again, there will be more revealed and I'll be like, okay, but just for the sake of whatever, for the sake of argument, stealing $20,000 is fucked up and weird, and writing bad checks is, first of all, very strange in 2021 looking at it, but like, those two things do not a murderer make. Also fair. My father accidentally left his checkbook sitting on the counter of a gas station once and then he turned around to go get it and it was gone and somebody wrote like four hot checks that like cleared and it was just awful oh my god that's yeah it was terrible that's and i don't know what the recourse is of regarding bad checks i think the only thing i write checks for is like rent um we did. <laughs> my landlord does paypal i'm like i kind of write checks sometimes just for the novelty of it i think like there's a couple things i have to write checks for sometimes i <laughs> sometimes i write checks just to like like do you my, write my i so i you know, I uh, lived in I lived in New York before I came here for a very long time, and I wasn't like the greatest driver before then. So like, I got to LA, and I was like, I don't know how to drive. So and weirdly enough, my driving school was like, we accept checks, we don't do card. And I'm like, I feel like I you- know it's so weird. I was like, what are you, are you a front for something? But they taught yeah. me to drive really well. So it was just it was kind of fun. The end. I had to pay like. A ticket. It's the only ticket I've ever gotten. And then I got it like off my record by doing community service. Good job. I know. Knock on everything. Hey, good job. Um, But they were like, we only take a check. And I was like, what? <laughs> Seriously? It was cash or check. And I was like, wow. I don't have either. I know. I know. I was thinking today. I'm like, I can't remember the last. I mean, especially fucking in the last year where it's just like, I don't. I don't. Think I'm I- more. Use yeah, I was cash. like, I'm more likely to have, t- like, Monopoly money randomly. I know. <laughs> but, okay. Sorry, go on. Back to checks. Okay, so bad checks. Bad checks, like, this makes him a super weird and sketchy guy. It does not make him a murderer. Great. But let's continue. Okay. So in Cherokee Village, they made friends with neighbors. They are named in Paradise Lost 2, so I'm going to name them. Their names are John and Donna Kingsbury, and they allege that John Mark Byers spanked their five-year-old. Now, Byers' story says that he grazed him with, like, a fly swatter saying, like, go on, get out of here. And the Kingsbury's allege that the beating left bruises and they obtained a restraining order. Okay. That's a situation where it's a he said, they said. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I actually don't know who to believe in that one. I can see why someone would set him up and I could see him doing it. Would they, what would they have to gain by setting him up? Notoriety. I guess. Um, he was also, this one, hmm. he was also charged with contributing to the delinquency of a minor so he was said to be standing by holding a gun and allowing a teenaged friend to assault john shaver jr um i'm sorry a teenage friend yeah 
John Shaver Jr. is another teenager. So the the friend had used the friend's not named um, a closed pocket knife as brass knuckles. Do you know how brass knuckles work? I uh, know that they are. I, I have seen brass knuckles and can assume that it would be very painful to be hit by them. Is there like new information? Well, like they're. I think it's illegal in some states, but they basically use in your fist closed. Yes, and it helps to not break your bones but also you hit harder yes and so this kid had used a closed pocket knife as brass knuckles to beat Uh. john shaver and it sent him to the hospital so byers admits that the knife was his and the shaver said that byers used the gun to stop bystanders from stopping the fight oh yeah yeah things aren't looking good for him right now no no that's really fucking gross that's like a gross human being right there yeah, um, weird move, in my opinion. Yep. So, due to all of those charges together, Byers has become a huge suspect at this point. Yes. That's, then, that's correct. Yeah. Remember, we are in 1999. I just want to keep reiterating this. I have not, I'm not supporting or denying the theory that he is a suspect. Um, but I'm giving you the facts here so melissa byers she dies on march 26 1996 at their home and her manner of death is listed as undetermined at the time um what a yikes so gary gitchell who was the inspector who i hate um he is the most smarmy bastard i have ever seen uh yeah i went for the the low blow there but this is what he says he said in defending why he chose not to look into buyers um you have to look at the facts and because buyers is not in jail he didn't do it that's basically his runaround way like that was the the synopsis of his runaround political way of saying hmm but it was like, because should we pick him up because he's weird, big, and boisterous? Because people had issues with Damien for the same weirdness? How about that? Like, how about because of relevant charges? Yeah. Or you could, like, be an investigator or something, like, hot take. Oh, my God. So, in regards to people thinking he killed Melissa... He hints at suicide occasionally, but it's all about him. Like, the way he talks about it, he was like, she was my wife, and I did all these things. That's some fucking sociopathic shit. Yeah, it's a very odd way. But then again, like, in grief, like, I I can't say that he didn't truly love her, because he does talk about her all the time. Hmm. But when he would try to move, people would not let him live in their neighborhood. I've always wondered how that shakes out. Yeah. Like, how do you... I guess... Is it just like they pressured the owners to say no to them if they put a bid on a house? Well, it depends. Like, you know, they won't rent to him or anything like that. Because if she's listed as undetermined, he doesn't get life insurance. He doesn't get anything like that until he gets a proper death certificate. And if it's undetermined, you don't get a death certificate. Right. And so, like, paying for her funeral and everything like that came out of his pocket, and he wouldn't be able to be reimbursed. So he probably lost 
almost everything. Hmm. Hence, 300 square foot apartment. There you go. I again coming from New York, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, I was that's like, normal, that's... isn't it? Yeah, I lived in that when I yeah. first moved here. But in Arkansas, that's terrible. Gotcha. Um, because he went from a sprawling house with two sons and a wife and a right. Yeah, don't worry, yeah. we're gonna talk about the other son. Because for a okay, long time, cool. I had no idea what happened to him. Yep. Um. So, Damien, we're just, I want to cut this in here. He had a a gorgeous quote. I say gorgeous, but I love the way that he said it. He goes, it's not as scary to believe that bloodthirsty Satanists are out murdering children as it is parents out murdering their children. Hmm. I was like, yeah that's and, real. like you know today children goes children a uh, children just one children no i was there i was i was there with you yeah one children goes missing yeah where's the first place that we look parents uh, parents yes people they know um national center for missing and exploited children you can look up the stats i've talked about them many times this is kind of not the place I want to talk about it because prior to this um, those statistics aren't too relevant because they weren't listed in the way they are now mm-hmm. but most of the time like stranger abductions don't happen so often yeah and so that means stranger murders are even less common it's almost always somebody in children's social circles right and yeah but john mark byers he agrees to take a lie detector test and he lets it be filmed that's a confident move yeah but i mean i guess as we're we're dealing with about you know 20 years ago plus i feel like lie detectors are not necessary i mean like it is oh no they're the same yes but the the idea around them is not like the no i think they're bonkers they're they're bananas but i don't think we knew that back then is what i'm saying yeah i know i was like you could get me to confirm that i'm the the zodiac killer because i have severe anxiety like (laughs) i knew it yeah um we we all know it's ted cruz but whatever whatever um (laughs) So he does agree to run the lie detector test. I do think he beat the box, but that's a different situation. Mm-hmm. Um, what they do is they put a video camera in the room and the lie detector, um, the person who's giving the test, they have an informal conversation um, beforehand. And I thought that that was really weird. Like, I've not heard of that. Yeah. Where he's just getting to know him. And I didn't feel like that. Like when he wasn't hooked up to the polygraph? It wasn't just like, oh, that's fucking weird. It's really weird because in that situation, then, you know, he's relaxing. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be able to lie better to your face. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I think he, in a way... (sighs) Beat the box because of it. Yeah. Um, 
So with Paradise Lost, the original documentary, Damien's appeal basically said that his defense attorney um, basically took money and therefore it was not uh, a proper way to be represented. And so in Paradise Lost 2, of course, his defense attorney does not participate. Um, he basically was appealing for poor representation. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, whatever he could appeal with, I would have been like, if I was that defense attorney, I'd be like, if that's what gets you off of death row, I'll yeah, take right. the hit, buddy. Right. Like, um, uh, blah, blah, blah. so each family of the victims and the defendants did receive equal honorariums after the production began. Began. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but John Mark Byers, you know, he's himself. Yeah. And it's not enough. Oh, my God. But again, like, you know, nothing is going to be enough to replace your child. No. And... But then it like it's it's <clears throat> when we were discussing earlier about how it's difficult in that situation where you want to you know you want to sympathize. This is a it. I feel like in that moment I sympathize with John Mark Bryce, which I thought I'd never do. Um, where I kind of understand because now his wife is dead. And he's in a situation where, like, his child, he's lost the child that he may or may not, like, he's been alleged now of having a hand in murdering. He's been accused of murdering his wife. Then again, he's not, like, in jail for it. But I think, you know, he's going off because there's nowhere else to go. Um, in that situation, I get, I that's, yeah, get that's it. So interesting because I feel like I don't sympathize with him in this situation. Only in that part. Only in that part. That's like um, that's exactly the part where I'm just like, dude, that is not. That feels gross. Well, he's alone. Like he doesn't have but anybody else. Blood money, basically. Like that's just like, <sighs> yeah. Like I don't. I I I totally get the aloneness. I get where like I. Oh no, he was he was upset that the defendants got money. Oh, uh, sorry if I misspoke. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I think I just misunderstood. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. I get it. Got it. And so that's why I kind of understood like his tantrums about it. I was like, okay. Yeah. Sure. I see. However, at the same time, I don't agree with him. But in that moment, I think I could empathize. Mm-hmm. However, that's not... If I were in that exact exact situation and they were guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt, um, I don't think I still would have the same reaction. You know? For all of the criminal justice I've discussed on this podcast... I don't think I'd still have the same reaction. I I think it's 
I think we're we're looking at it. It's hard to get out of your own lens. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I know. I know. Like, I, of I, course, I, it's like I said, it was me. It was my personal, my personal take. And of course, we're going to go all the way till like, you know, recent times. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see how John Mark Byers changes. But um, unfortunately, like this trigger warning again. While on death row, Damien was sexually assaulted for every year. And though he reported, prison authorities did nothing, absolutely yeah. fucking nothing to stop the attacks. And he had to file a lawsuit against the prison. And when he asked about what he was thinking when he finally took steps to get to the lawyers, he said, what are they going to do? Kill me? I'm sitting on death row. Huh. And that was in 1996. And... When you see that moment in that interview, like, I bawled. Mm. Like, I could not stop crying. He had, like, grown his hair so long. You could tell he couldn't, he just couldn't take care of himself in that moment. Like, yeah, that's, uh, that's really. It's rough. And rough, man. Oh, it's killer. It's killer. Like, it is. The part where you're like, this was a teenage boy sent to death row, regardless of politics here. Yeah, right. So, back to John Mark Byers. He does the famous Arkansas pause, which tricks you into answering. (laughs) I hate it. Let me tell you how it works. Okay. So, I'm going to tell you a sentence about myself. And then... You're going to start saying something, but then I'm going to continue and speak over you. Oh, God, this feels like how I grew up. It's so (laughs) painful. And you watch him do it all the time when he's talking to his friends. It's killer. So people have started calling him a baby killer, and it's driving him insane. Mm. And... He vents to his friends. He's like, I'm not a baby killer. I wasn't there. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. I'm John Mark Byers. Yes. And Direct quote. <laughs> sorry. And what Jason had, I think, was it Jason? Yeah, Jason had to say about him <laughs> was awesome. He goes, Byers is probably the fakest creature to walk on two legs. <laughs> there is no true thing about him. And <laughs> then Damien believes Byers did it. And he's fairly confident in it. He thinks that Melissa helped him cover it, cover it up. And that's why she's dead. Wow. Um, he also says he wouldn't say anything to John Mark Byers. He is beneath him and he doesn't deserve his contempt. And before I tell you what a dramatic son of a bitch he is, um, that's just, you know, my hot take. When he's taking this lie detector test, he denies the robbery. He says that Melissa was addicted to Dilaudid, but then later says that she was a heroin addict. And then he said he never wanted to hurt anyone but the West Memphis Three. Um, Damien, Jason, and Jesse. So, 
There's a a scene in Paradise Lost 2 that I have never gotten out of my head. He goes to the, quote, crime scene, which we now consider more of a disposal site at this point. And he's like, I'm going to bury those boys now. And he digs like many graves. He pours something like wood chips in it. And he puts sticks with the alleged caution tape from the night the boys were found. And also, they're all now his babies. He's like, these are where my babies were found. So like all this for the camera. Mm -hmm. And then he lights it on fire with an accelerant, which is so irresponsible because he's in the fucking woods. This is such a dramatic moment, and it felt like transference to me. I don't know. That's a personal take. Yeah. So Damien gets to see Paradise Lost four years after its release. He says that the haircut he has in it, which, I mean, I'm going to accept until that it's terrible. Like, he had a terrible haircut. The haircut he had before is actually pretty good. Like, you know... Skrillex should be jealous because Damien did it first. Um, it was given to him in the back room right before they went to trial by a woman with plastic scissors, and he was not to be blamed for it. I thought that was hysterical. Um, so he was being interviewed over the phone by his supporters. They paid for the call, and what they were doing was in a, they were in a chat room on their website. And basically talking to him on the phone and then typing what he said to the chat room. And I thought that was kind of cool. Like, you know, we could never do that now because I don't know. I feel like there's something that is both against that and would not be comfortable. But when they were asking him about like, what was it like to see the film and all of this, he was like, The film made him a little homesick. Jason didn't even look like how he remembered. Um, He saw them all as children, like their entire demeanor. He did say he wanted to do Paradise Lost because he felt like it was positive publicity to combat the Arkansas media. And he thought it'd be fun because at 18, do you really grasp the weight of what's happening? And he trusted the filmmakers to be objective, but Even then, like, what did he have to lose? Um, And I think about that. Like, what did they have to lose by someone coming in and filming? Because they know they didn't do it. So why would they agree to filming if they had something to hide? I actually kind of think about that in regards to John Mark Byers, too. Why does he agree to be on Paradise Lost 2? And if he had something to hide. So then again, he uh, he never really tells the same story twice. Because, you know, he does have a brain tumor. And I will say that probably has to um, play into a lot about how he is. Uh He claims to have anxiety, nightmares, and panic attacks while he's doing the lie detector test. He owned up to trying drugs. That probably means he took drugs for quite some time. He had said, of course, like, Melissa did Dilaudid and heroin. He was on medication such as Xanax and Zoloft and a bunch of others to assist in managing his brain tumor 
Um, somehow, though, like, it's always about his son and not our son when he's talking about Chris. And he was an adoptive father. And I find it odd that he kind of removes Melissa from that situation. Um, he did lie about his teeth removal. He said it was done in early 1993, but he has the oral surgeon bring the receipts. It was April 4th, 1997, so almost four years after the murder. He agrees to release all of his records, so, like, they have his original dental records. However, Turvey wanted to get into the boys' lives and community and who had access because, according to Turvey, they are... That's, like, the first place that will tell you whether or not someone is kind of a plausible candidate for interrogation, I should say. And when he starts talking about Chris Byers, because, of course, at this point, John Mark is a huge suspect. Huge trigger warning right here, guys. I am so sorry. Uh, Turvey believed for him to have been abused. Chris Byers was noted to be a fire starter for playing with his own excrement for picking fights and beating up other kids. He was on Ritalin as we all were in the nineties. And basically doctors were so confused as to why things kind of didn't really help his behavior problems. Um, He was known to be aggressive, defiant, impulsive, and even violent. And this has been documented for three years by a neurologist who was treating him. So Chris was eight at the time of his death, meaning that that documentation started at age five. So the doctor still said he was a loss for why the medication didn't help him. And it begs the question, was he getting it? If you remember from last episode, I mentioned... Chris only had, like, a portion of Ritalin in his system, but not, like, the full dose. John Mark Byers had said that he probably had not taken it that day. So that was basically his excuse for where the Ritalin theory went. Rachel, thoughts? Ritalin doesn't fix abuse? Like, even if he was getting it, that doesn't seem to be the problem? Um, yeah, that is, that's horrifying in 85 different directions. And, um, oh man, that's, and I just, I feel like, and I'm, uh, I'm so unqualified to talk about fucking any of this, but like, uh, the buyer's dead, like he just, when you talk about like how it's, you know, he's putting it on himself when when he's talking about his wife and like uh, and how he always refers to his son as my son and not our son and uh, and just like this sort of loud boisterous can be construed into attention seeking um, you know uh, behavior. It just it sounds like there is some fucking underlying narcissism and some shit going on there. Though it's just like you, you this is it's it's all about me. And, and again, this is like real fucking judgmental because that's his grief and whatever. But it just it's but it now sounds like he was abusing his fucking kid. So it sounds like there was probably some 
really dark shit is my official diagnosis. Yeah. Right. Um, so the hearing, they, of course, compared the bite mark impressions. None of the West Memphis three matched. Um, however, the state brings medical examiners and other odontologists to testify and they rule out bite marks in the autopsy. Nothing was written in the hmm. report. There was a final witness to review or refute, sorry, the evidence, a board certified forensic odontologist. So, you know, you can get what you pay for. So, of course, David Burnett, the same person, upheld their convictions in That's, 1999. I cannot fucking believe it was the same fucking judge. I know. I cannot believe that. I know. I'm, I'm just... Mm. So, they have one final chance in federal court to appeal. John Mark Byers, however, was sentenced to eight years in an Arkansas correctional facility in 1999 for selling prescription drugs to an undercover narcotics officer. So, that's where we leave off in 1999. So, now we're going to move towards how they are able to basically be released from prison, which happened the year after I graduated from high school, which was incredible. Um, this is I. This I, is a boon I expected not. Oh, I didn't yes, know. Like are... I, like I said, I kind of came into this not knowing anything. However, I'm going to tell you, it's a boon in the way of. It happened in the way it shouldn't. So, John Phillips Bourne is a post-conviction attorney okay. for Jason. Um, so, he mentions that this crime happened near two major freeways and near a truck stop, which is now closed, and a 24-7 truck wash, and there was plenty of tra- traffic. Like, this was not a place that like lent itself to privacy there also was a um like an apartment complex that could see directly to where the boys were found there was also a house 150 feet away (laughs) i'm sorry that's that's bananas that anyone ever thought that that was a murder scene that's like that's it's crazy so like didn't anyone give more than three seconds of thought to that. I Good don't God. think so. So then uh, Damien's post-conviction attorney, just so you know, his name is Don Horgan. And John Mark Byers did return for the third documentary of Paradise Lost Purgatory. And he admits to leading the bandwagon of hysteria. And Byers and he goes back to his old house and he sees that the buyers and Moore's houses have been empty since Mm. they left. And his fire has gone out considerably. Mm. And a lot of his personality, I wonder if like what part of his brain tumor played in some of that. I can't speak to any of that, but I do understand neurological conditions can really affect certain parts and so he really his fire has gone out he 
I don't want to say cleaned up, but he does look like he's cleaned up his act. Like, perhaps going to a correctional facility really did yeah, man. shape up. So, when re-interviewed for, their, um, pa- like, Paradise Lost 3, Gary Gitchell, who I still have no respect for, for sure. whatsoever, says he probably would not have. I think he says probably wouldn't have, which, amazing Southern. Uh, made the 11 remark when asked on a scale of 1 to 10 how certain he was that they had caught their their men. So, I'm going to skip over most of what happens in kind of like Paradise Lost 3, but basically I want to talk about um... Ah, I lost my page. Uh, what happened in 2009. So no DNA linked the West Memphis Three to the crime. And thanks to the advances in technology, there was absolutely no physical evidence of the West Memphis Three being there. The DNA belonged to Terry Hobbs. And was found in Christopher Byers' shoelaces in his ligatures. However, the police still do not consider Terry Hobbs a suspect in the murders. Terry Hobbs is the stepfather of Stevie Branch, one of our victims. Why don't why so, why wouldn't they consider him a suspect? Hmm. Yeah, we okay. we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. So. They are going to go back to trial. Um, and Jason, in an interview, talks about, I believe it was when Billy Johnson of the Murder Squad interviewed, he talks about how his lawyer came to him and offer, and says the prosecution has offered them the Alfred plea. And he absolutely says no. And... Then, in regards to Damien, that's different. He's looking at death. He could be killed at any point. And, you know, you're when you're running out of, like, options to stay alive. What is the Alfred? The Alfred what is that? Oh, I'll tell you oh, okay. in a second. But this was a way to guarantee that they would be free tomorrow. Okay. You know? Yeah. And... The Alfred plea, they took it in 2011, and they were released. This allows them to plead guilty while maintaining their innocence to avoid any of the other punishment. So basically, you're charged with time served. However, it acknowledges the state, quote, has enough evidence to try again, even though it's kind of double jeopardy. But you cannot sue for damages, and the case is closed. Okay. So it's, it's a boom. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, so do you remember Mr. I Bojangles? Do. I do remember. I'm going to give you closure okay. on that. Um, in regards to where the boys are found... And the path to the Bojangles. Truth and Justice podcast did 
a video, like with a drone, because um, I'm going to talk about Truth and Justice podcast okay. a lot right now. And I have so much respect for them. They, I would say he, his name is Bob Ruff, um, but they as an entity put out the Oxygen special, The Forgotten West Memphis 3. So we're going to talk about highlights from that. Um, but he did a, a video. It's available on YouTube. Just look up The Path to the Bojangles Truth and Justice podcast, and you can see this video. He shows the implausibility of someone being able to actually do what they considered. So why that's not a suspect. However, the defense proposing that was great because it was reasonable doubt. That's the only thing that you're right. supposed to do is bring reasonable doubt that somebody else could have done it. And the Bob Ruff, like he shows how that was not possible. But you know, if somebody is bloody and muddy and sitting on a commode, maybe you should help them. Maybe, I mean. Or you could just sit and watch, I guess, but. Or you could just go through the drive-thru and say there's more important or things. what if you really have to use the commode, though? You know, there's more than one commode. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> I'm <horrible>. sorry. So, <laughs> we're going to hop over to the Forgotten West Memphis 3 Oxygen special that came out. Bob Ruff of Truth and Justice Podcast went to West Memphis. And I honestly, I've been to West Memphis, but like, because I lived in Arkansas and I went to Memphis and I have seen Bojangles with my own two eyeballs. It's scary. And not because of like, you know, the commode situation. It's just scary because you're in a small town and it's like not a chain restaurant. Wait, there um, is a chain called Bojangles though. It doesn't feel like it. <laughs> okay. It feels like a Bob Dylan oh, song. Man. And so Bob Ruff does this and there's some things that he re-interviews that the police never touched and I just want to oh, let you know gosh. what they are. So he talks to Pam and she says, I still don't know the truth and not knowing is the hardest part. Stevie was with Pam from 255 to 345 after school. So Michael comes and asks Stevie to ride bikes. And Stevie is supposed to be home around 445. Um, Chris is not there yet. So they leave around like, what, 340, I think, to leave on bikes. Chris does not have a bike. So that's two bikes, three boys. Okay. Okay. So in Jesse's confession, he said... Chris was choked with a stick until he died. There is no evidence that anyone was choked or trauma to the neck, no broken hyoid bone. If it, someone's choked to death, that hyoid right. bone is gone. It is snippety snapped. So basically what Bob Ruff has done is he's gone away from, okay, we have, we have suspects. Let's fit them to mm -hmm. the crime because that is not how you solve right. a case. Yeah. Well, like, mm -hmm. mm. I know. Okay. He's like, we're going to look at our victims. Let's go to victimology. So main points. He's like, we're looking at one boy who's running away, not playing happily. They were low risk 
they were unsupervised victims. The offender had to be able to approach all three. There is no evidence of multiple offenders because of the consistency. This person had to control three victims without much problem. And a stranger, they would right. run away. This is 1993. We, we do, do know stranger, stranger danger. danger. At this point, yes. Yes. So this had to be, it had to be oh someone they knew. And in regards to sexual assault, trigger warning, I'm so sorry I missed it before, but trigger warning. So anal dilation was used as evidence of sexual assault, right? They, Bob Ruff speaks to an expert and she's like, anal dilation means nothing. Everyone has it at the time of death because, you know, you poop huh, your pants yes. when you die. Overall picture, it looks kind of like a sexual assault predatory behavior, but there is more evidence against it than for it. It can't be ruled out mm. or proved. Also, as I've said, it was a terrible area to conceal yes, yeah. a body. The last credible sighting is at 6.30 p.m., and people are searching by then. A house is, like I said, 150 feet away. Why weren't they yeah. questioned? Holy shit, they weren't? Like, I mean, yeah, I don't think so. And if these boys went across the pipe bridge, they went across because of their own volition while alive. You couldn't, you could not do that. Oh like, the potential of animal activity due to the irregularity of some wounds could account for some ex unexplained injuries. And there's MVAC testing, which is pure genius. So pure gold forensics, uh, Bob Ruff goes, he is basically given a demonstration on how they're able to get DNA from porous surfaces, like rocks and stuff that you can't swab. Huh. And it's an amazing, um, it's basically an amazing technology. Then there was the testimony of Marlene Hollingsworth. This is as earth-shattering as the bite marks, if not more. Like, if the bite marks were earth-shattering, this is core destruction okay. overload. Marlene Hollingsworth testified that she almost hit a boy on a bicycle. She said that there were three boys on bicycles. And... She described two as thin and one as heavyset wearing shorts. None of our, our boys fit that description. Also, we know Chris right. had no bike. So there had to have been a fourth boy. What? Bob Ruff called her and she verified her statement. She gave that statement to the police and they did nothing with it. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Walk me through how you got to the fourth boy. So there was Marlene yes. Hollingsworth, right? She was driving. I'm sorry if I never mentioned she okay. was driving. Okay. She was driving and she almost hit a boy on a bicycle. When she described the incident, there were three boys on bicycles. One, two, right. three bicycles, right? One of the boys she described was heavy set. And wearing right, shorts. Which is what none of... So there would need to be a fourth person. None of them fit that description. So there was a fourth boy. 
and he calls her to verify it. This special came mm-hmm. out in 2020. He calls her to verify it, and she still tells the same wow. story. And also, this fourth boy was spotted by more Holy than one shit. person. Yeah. Described in the same color clothes and everything. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So, Pam, at the beginning, participates, obviously, in this. And, you know, I did criticize Pam a bit. I do think she was she was on happy pills at the time. Like, you know, when things mm-hmm. are too much, you... You take a lot of Xanax and you hope for yeah. the best. I would have done that too, Pam. Shout out to you. Um, her sister is interviewed. Her sister's name is JoLynn. At this point, Pam is now divorced of Terry. Um, Pam did have a daughter with Terry named Amanda. And um, Terry's sister is... Yeah, I said JoLynn. Um she is interviewed by Bob Ruff. It is so telling. Um, so Stevie was basically, this is all coming from Jillian, a happy kid, except Daddy Terry. Oh, God. Um, Jillian loved Stevie. And Jillian tells a story about how Stevie was basically... Like, he had kind of gone missing. He was about three or four. He had kind of gone missing in the house while they were at her mother's house. And her and Pam couldn't find him. And then she had a feeling. And she looked in one of the closets, saw Stevie's foot. And she opened it up. And she's, she asked him, like, why are you hiding in there? And he was dead ass afraid because Daddy Terry was going to whoop him for having an accident while... He's in the middle of potty training. Like, why would you whoop a child? Sorry, that's how we say it down in the South. Whoop a child. That, I mean, I'm already, I am against corporal punishment, oh but. Oh my God. That's so fucking For potty sad. training. That's so fucking sad. So, she said Terry belittled him. That he wouldn't let him cry. And that he would punish him with excessive force. And she considered, like, a few licks with his belt or hand as, like, light. Oh, my God. So that's the comparison of excessive force. Um, And the sad thing is, is, like, JoLynn didn't witness it. It was Pam that told her. And when Pam found out that Stevie was missing, it was, like, 9 o'clock. Because Terry oh didn't tell God. her. And a lot of her self-destruction, is, this is what Jolyn said that Pam really did self-destruct, was probably like, why didn't you come and get me? Why didn't I get to go look for my son? And that was probably the root of her anger. And um, something I thought that was really telling from Jolyn was... They didn't do a proper investigation. She said, today, if a child comes up missing or murdered, they first sus- they first suspect right. the parents. Um, you know, they begin the investigation with those closest to the victim. And Terry Hicks was never questioned. So 
something I also found interesting is, oh wait, no, I'm going to tell you that in a second. Um, okay. So currently, currently the DA of Arkansas at the time of this coming out, his name is Ellington. So the DA office, Ellington is unresponsive. Okay. Okay. But he doesn't want to retest anything. They have like a swab from one of the boys' penises that is DNA that does not match hardly anyone. And um, I know it doesn't match the three. It doesn't match. I can't remember who all they've tested against, but I know that they're still looking and he's unresponsive, but now he's running for a judge. And I loved the optimism uh, Jason had because he was like, great. Then we get a new DA who doesn't have anything to hide. <laughs> um, yeah. And Damien says that, yeah, they want to wear you out. They want you to shut up and go away. And don't. Hmm. Don't shut up. Don't go away. So. Um, Pam Hicks and John, Mike, John Mark Byers, they want to see the physical evidence. And the judge said no. They want to. They have an attorney, Ken Swindle. That is an unfortunate and name. I kind of, I kind of loved it. I was like, you knew <laughs> you were going to be an attorney. Um, but they, they wanted the physical evidence. They're the parents. They right. should get it. And it's already a case that technically is closed. And Swindle immediately asks for reconsideration Mm -hmm. and Jason he said like they were all so disappointed because at this point like Pam Hicks and John Mark Byers have teamed up with the three because they they're innocent they want to know um and they want the justice for the boys and he says we all deserve to know what happened like our parents they do our families everyone who's lost parts of their lives deserves to know and so then when the reconsideration is requested the bombshell four names not names from thin air these are four names from prosecutors own files um david uh Jacoby, L.G. Hollingworth, Hollingsworth, Buddy Lucas, and Terry Hobbs. So Terry Hobbs and David ja- Jacoby's hair and DNA, because, you know, yeah, yeah. DNA has hair. Mm-hmm. Hair has DNA. Were found at the crime what? scene. Yes. Now Hobbs was tied into the shoe ligature, shoelace ligature. And also, Terry's unaccounted for for quite what? some time oh my that night god yeah and fear is a phenomenal motivator yeah. right so for a while so regarding david uh, jacoby he says for a while they thought for sure that they would find stevie and he says he could have done more he wished she had knew and then again do you really want to know who right. and why and he's like, they're eight-year-old kids. What are they going to do? Even if they've seen something they shouldn't have seen, 
what could have been so bad? They had to be killed. It kind of seems like he knows more, but at the same time, it also seems like he feels, it feels like he got dragged into something and he didn't want to be there. And he, yeah. So Pam talks about how Terry tells her at work and then he calls someone and she thinks it was 911. The police did eventually arrive. She calls Stevie's biological father, Steve Branch Sr. And she tells him about the disappearance. He immediately Mm -hmm. comes to West Memphis and he searches with her father um, while Terry was off doing question marks. Mm Mm-hmm. So Ryan Clark, he was 13 of the time of the murders. That is Chris Byers' Mm -hmm. older brother. I have always wondered what happened to him. This is his... Yes. Yes. Okay. So remember how he had a brother. Chris had a brother and Mm -hmm. he's never talked about. Um, He was 13 at the time. I always wondered if he was okay or got out of the house into a stable environment. Um, So they shared the same bed. I think that's weird. I feel like if you're poor enough and like, I don't know, if there's just not a lot of space around. I get it. I don't know. Like. If you were child services, like, that doesn't fly. You have to have your own bed. Just throwing that out there. Like, 1993, I guess, is a different story. But today, you I have to have like your own bed. I feel like Malcolm in the I saw Malcolm in the middle. They all slept in the same bed there. Yeah. Did funny. they really? Oh, that's so weird. I don't think I could do that. I feel like it's, it's I don't know. I, I'm sort of a shrug on that. I'm like, yeah, all right, it happens. Yeah. Well... The next day, after, you know, they initially went missing but haven't been found, he went to wake up his brother next to him, and he wasn't there. And, like, hearing him talk about that was so heart-wrenching. You know what I mean? And because he said that he would talk about, like, how they would wake each other up, whoever woke up first would wake the other, and Mm -hmm. adorable, right? Yep. Children. How cute. Um, and that was the first time I think like we had heard from Ryan. And he is in the the special, like in the dark, so you can't really see him. And I think that's great yeah. because really we should not have to deal no. with, yeah. you know, what the young people's lives who were affected by this, they should be able to live their lives without the repercussions. Agreed. Um, but okay, so also time out. I'm so sorry. There is a dog that has been barking for about four years at this point. I don't know if you can, if this is picking him up, but uh, sorry, it's not my dog. I'm not like ignoring my dog. <laughs> to be honest, I couldn't hear it, but I think okay. that's hilarious. <laughs> as long as you can't hear it, like, I leaving. don't know what to do about it because it's just like, I don't know. I think it's in the apartment. Like across the way, so I don't know whose dog it is, and or like where to point, whoever you know, whatever ASPCA people I would call. But like I like that dog has been barking f- the entire quarantine. Um, I'm just gonna throw down that someone got murdered, and that's my next case okay, I'm investigating. Cool. Uh, <laughs> so we're gonna wrap yes. this puppy up mainly with. 
a little bit of information to quell your mind. So today that forest is gone and the creek is filled in. You can't go back to the crime scene because it doesn't exist anymore. Bob Ruff does not think David Jacoby did anything. He thinks he's innocent. He has cooperated so much. He's helped with the search party. Um, He was traveling with Ryan following the bite tracks at 8.45 p.m. He has given the biggest clue that no one really um, Mm -hmm. documented. um, That a single set of muddy footprints were coming back into the neighborhood on that pipe bridge. And so Bob Ruff is convinced of David Jacoby's Mm -hmm. innocence. There could have just been secondary transfer of David Jacoby's hair because he was a family friend. In regards to John Mark Byers, as there was a huge setup of him being a possible suspect, it's not possible that he did it. He had left to go get Ryan at court. And Chris had come home. And then he had gotten a skateboard and he was out in the middle of the street skateboarding with Hmm. a friend. And he was on his stomach skateboarding. John Mark Byers brings him inside, gives him a spanking, and says that you have to go clean out the newspapers in the carport as part of your punishment. And then when I get back, we're all going to Shoney's. And um, so he actually left to go get Ryan at court. Melissa sees Chris out, like, under the carport doing what mm-hmm. he was supposed to do. Um, and then it was confirmed by two neighborhood children, Bobby Posey and Carlos Seals, that they saw uh, Chris leave the house and some, and at some point met up with Stevie and Michael. Bob Ruff does not think... John Mark Byers molested Chris, or he can't corroborate it. So there was a statement called the Jamie Clark Ballard statement. So at 6.30 that day, like when Mm -hmm. church starts, Jamie Clark Ballard um, saw all three boys running from behind the house and Terry Hobbs standing in the driveway yelling, get back down there. Terry Hobbs claimed to have never seen them that night. Now, Ryan Clark knows who she is and discredits it. It was a friend. I wouldn't say friend, sorry. It was someone he knew from school. She had said that they walked home together from school, and Ryan's like, that never happened. And it was a false statement in Bob Ruff's opinion, and they came forward 15 Hmm. years later. So Dawn, Michael's older sister, she had told him it was okay to go to Robin Hood, which is mm-hmm. Robin Hood Hills. That's what they would call it. And that's contrary to his mother's report that she hmm. did. Most likely to protect her because she was so young. Um, she, it's reported that she held a lot of guilt oh. for this. So her friend that she was with said, that's probably a bad idea. People deal drugs and stuff out there. And so they go look for him and she's offered, quote, a shot by older men and she thinks it's a needle and like yeah, you yeah. know like a shot and she's scared and runs home her mother is now home and tells her she tells her everything and they go look for the boys and dawn at the time was oh nine God. years old 
So that's why her mother would 100% be like, I did that. Yeah, I get that. So once the boys entered the woods at 6.30 p.m., they never came out. Oh, my God. And that is all of the information that we know regarding this case. Terry Hobbs has not been cleared in the way that John Mark Mm -hmm. Byers has. Pam Hobbs, now Hicks, sorry, Pam Hicks, has kind I would say recanted her um, accusation of Damian Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly, and Jason Baldwin, as does John Mark Byers. Um, I haven't really heard much about the Moors since then. I'm not sure if Bob Ruff has gotten a hold of them. I know he got a hold of Don. I understand why they wouldn't want to yeah. dredge it up. But Bob Ruff is committed to solving it. He wants to know who did it. And he wants the closure for everyone involved, as does Damien and Jason and Jesse. And so this is my go watch his Oxygen special, but also he does have a podcast as well, Truth and Justice. And he's a very engaging speaker. I really enjoyed him. So shout out to him. And go watch that video where he takes the drone to show you the Bojangles situation. He also has drone footage showing basically where the crime happened versus where, like... What we think could be the distance and what actually is the distance. Because for those of us who aren't from Arkansas. I don't understand. Who would that be? Exactly. (laughs) Though my (laughs) accent may protest. um, It's actually much closer than one Mm. would realize. And so he he was like, I had no idea. I thought this was like a deep forest, and it's not. And I had, like, he's on the ground doing the work. And so I appreciate the work that he's done because he has uncovered so much information that would not have been available. And so a lot of my information does come from him. It does come from the Paradise Lost trilogy um, available on HBO. I also got a lot of information from West of Memphis, the documentary. It is not available streaming for free. Um, You could rent it from Amazon, et cetera. Um, Then I got a lot of information from growing up in Arkansas, (laughs) um, watching news coverage there. I can't say where, uh, you know, but when it aired the first time. But thanks to Paradise Lost... The, uh, the multiple versions, versions, I would say, yeah. I guess the trilogy, they did document a lot of the news mm. coverage. So actually seeing that news coverage is amazing. The haircuts. Oh, Lord. Wow. If you know anything about me, I love, I love old <laughs> shows and haircuts. And I think it shows how easily trial by yeah. media can just that's some real you. shit right there that is absolutely and, real yeah this is a huge mm-hmm. case of trial by media and i 
I think that really hit me. Like, I watched the TV show Netflix put out, and the one that hit me the most was the Bernie Getz story where he shot for young yeah. black teenagers and he was not considered right. the monster. And I have never been so mm-hmm. outraged in my life in that like yeah. a singular moment because this case unfolded for me, this, that one, they just slapped me with information. I was like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah. And I know. Hmm. I'll yeah, cover that one. That's some, that is some shit that I, I again didn't exactly like grow up with because obviously it was quite a bit before my time. But like that was, I am familiar with that, and it is a horror. Yeah, and I think it is very prudent and important that we look back on these cases where we did yeah. not do our best as as a, as like, like human a community. People. Yeah. And what can we learn? What can we gain? And also, how can we fix what we fucked up? And that's what I draw from this one. I closely watch this case. I hope and pray that we find, I don't really pray to anyone, but you Mm -hmm. know the sentiment, that we find the person who did this because a killer's on the loose. And that is the worst thing in the world. And... I don't think this crime was a one-off. I think this is not someone's first, like yeah, first right. rodeo, if you will, as we say back in the mm-hmm. back in the south. But so that means that there are possibly other victims, and I hope that Arkansas is brave enough to check themselves, and I hope that Arkansas, as a state is brave enough to ask for help from exterior sources such as the FBI and be able to look at themselves objectively and say, how could we have gotten this so wrong in such a short amount of time? And where can we go right? What can we change in the procedure to make this better? Because justice was not served. Not by a long shot. No. So any closing Nothing thoughts? Nothing that is even remotely as articulate as that, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> like, no, you, you covered that. Like, it's, yeah. Well, thank Thank you. But um, I appreciate you going through this journey God with damn me, it. Rachel. Fury, can I, like, get some fucking could- ghost stories or something next time around? Like, just give me some weird, spooky shit that, like... Yes. Ugh, I gotta go fucking... Yeah, because last I time, did the, didn't you join did me John for and, uh, uh, and God Eastern damn State? It, man. <laughs> I got you on so Just many criminal justice like, episodes. Oh, give me a... You're going to be involved in a crime and you're going to be like, I already know <laughs> how to handle this. Just let me take Thank care of you, this. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yeah. You're going to be like, first of all. Thank you for putting me through this, I guess. Ugh. I mean, I hope, along with all of our listeners, that you come out a better person and reevaluate. Do I hold these prejudices? Sis, yeah. sis, and do I know the plural of that word? <laughs> Prejudice. That no. Prejudice. Prejudices. No, nailed it. That's it. And we, as a culture move forward 
and always take heed of our failures. True that. True That's that. what I think. So thank you all for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About the Facts. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Fury. With me was... Rachel Flores, question mark? Yeah, I do. I feel that after this. <laughs> and find us on the Twitter at T-A-L-K-A-B-T-F-A-C-T-S. That's Talk About Facts. Also, same handle for Instagram and Patreon. If you liked the teeny episode before, that's where we'll be posting more teeny episodes. And eventually, we will make another teeny episode regarding this case, Rachel and I. But for now... Hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen, because we're flying away.